Thank you, Ralph, for leading us in prayer and in scripture reading. And yeah, this is uh, hopefully becoming a very familiar passage to all of us. Uh, There are worse things to memorize than the Word of God, that's for sure. So if you find yourself starting to memorize these words, that's a good thing, I would think, right? Uh, We, as I've said probably for three or four weeks now, I don't know how long we've been in this series thus far, but we're in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we looked at this same passage last week because we're trying to understand what Jesus' relationship to the Old Testament law was. You've got to think about how things were unfolding at that time. Jesus comes preaching and teaching this ministry. He comes and says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come, you know. He starts this public ministry. He starts this movement. People are starting to listen to him. They're starting to, to follow him. They're witnessing him doing great acts of, of, uh, of mercy and compassion, as well as miracles and signs, and the crowds are getting bigger and bigger. And people want to know, hey, Jesus, what's your relationship to the law? Because it sounds like, at least to them, that he's not particularly interested in the law. And that's a big deal because for the Jews, the first century Jews at that time, the law of Moses was everything to them. It was the foundation of their entire religious and civil life. And so it was important for them to know what Jesus, was, what Jesus thought of the law and what his relationship to the law was. And last week we saw uh, in verse 17, as we kind of tackled this verse, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus was showing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and all the people who were listening to him that he actually cared about the law more than they did. He cared about the law so much that that he came to fulfill it, meaning he came to lead a life of perfect obedience to that law, but then also to fulfill it in that he came to die and pay the penalty for you and I who were unable to fill it ourselves. So he obeyed and he paid. That's what we looked at last time. What we're going to look at briefly together this morning As we're going to look at what Jesus says in verse 20, the last verse in this section, he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, just a quick reminder for you, the kingdom of heaven is a way of describing God's reign and rule, his administration. So anybody who is a Christian becomes part of this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God. You're leading your life, living your life under God's care and God's rule. And Jesus is saying to his listeners, if you want to join this kingdom, if you want to live under the gracious care and rule of God Almighty, if that's what you want, here's what you got to do. You have got to be super duper holy. Super duper moral. Super duper good. You've got to be better than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now remember, nobody at this time took God's law more seriously than the Pharisees did. We said this last week. People hated the Pharisees, not because they were so bad, but because they were so good. 
They learned God's law. They studied it. They memorized it word for word. They spent hours poring over God's law, trying to understand it, trying to figure out how to apply it to all the different situations in life and and how to obey it perfectly. They had come to discover there were about 613 of these laws in the law of Moses, and they were bound and determined to obey every single one of them. Can you imagine if you lived a life, if, I, don't, I can't, 613 laws. Who can memorize 613 laws? And then imagine trying to do anything. You get up in the morning and you're just thinking about getting dressed. And you got to go, okay, 613 laws. Which laws do I have to remember when I'm getting dressed? And then, kids, think about this. You're going over to the fridge to decide on breakfast, and you got to go, 613 laws, which laws am I supposed to remember while I get my breakfast? And finally, you choose your breakfast, and you get that, and now you go upstairs, and you get ready for school, and you come downstairs, and did I talk about putting your clothes on yet? Okay, you're, you're already dressed. All right, good. But now, you're uh, deciding uh, what to put in your lunchbox, and you, 613 laws, what am I supposed to put in my lunchbox? Am I allowed to put this in my lunchbox? What can I put in my lunchbox? Most of you are probably hoping your mom or dad does that one for you. But imagine a life living under the oppression of all these laws. These Pharisees loved the law. And because they were so certain that they must not break any one of these 613 laws, they started putting together their own laws on top of those laws in order to protect themselves from breaking breaking those laws. So the law is this thing. And they said, well, in order to make sure that we don't break this law, we'll put another law around it. We We call it fencing the law. We'll put another law around it so that if we accidentally break that one, we'll know that we still haven't broken the one that really matters. So not only did they have 613 of Moses' laws, they had their own laws too. And Jesus comes along and he says, their record, their commitment, their enthusiasm is not enough. These are the religious elites. These are the super good people. And Jesus says, they're not in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you got to be better than that. How in the world is that possible? Why, why would Jesus say this? Here's what Jesus is doing. He's showing his listeners that Christianity surpasses, goes beyond every other religion that's ever been designed by the human race. Because this is the one religion that has not been designed by the human race. It's, it's, it's different. Jesus is saying, don't mistake following me and being part of my kingdom. Don't make, don't make the mistake of, of confusing my faith or faith in me with religious observance. You know, religious observance, going to worship services, uh, praying, reading the sacred scriptures of whatever religion that you practice, uh, giving to the poor. Every religion on the planet has its list of rules. And if you follow those rules, by following those rules, by observing those statutes, you're considered an adherent of that religion. But that's not how 
Christianity works. And you think to yourself, wait a minute, there's all kinds of rules in Christianity. Hold on a second. Yeah, there's rules in Christianity, but it's not primarily about law-keeping. If you make it about law-keeping, it becomes a poison to your soul. And as we're going to see, you'll be building your house not on a house of, of, of uh, rock, but on a foundation of rock, but on a foundation of sand. It will destroy you. When Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers, when Jesus says that, he's saying, Christian righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees in kind, not just in degree. And that's a very, very, very important distinction. Here's the thesis for this morning that we're going to look at. Christian goodness is greater than religious goodness because it's deeper, it's purer, and it's nobler. Christian goodness is greater than religious goodness because it is deeper, purer, and nobler. Let's have a look. First of all, it is deeper. I already waxed poetic about how the Pharisees were very externally righteous. Their behavior was good. They fasted. They prayed. All that kind of stuff. They were externally blameless in terms of their behavior. And Jesus says, that's not enough because you see, it's too shallow. Jesus says, I have come to teach you that obeying me must come from the heart. That obeying God must be a, a, a heart thing, not simply an, an action thing. And that's why further down in the sermon, he starts saying things like this. This is verse 21. You have heard it said. And when he says, you have heard it said, he's not speaking specifically to Moses' law. He's speaking to the teachers of the law who were expounding Moses' law and putting those fences around Moses' law, adding to Moses' law. It's very hard to say Moses' law. <laughs> and he says, you have heard it said, or that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, fine. But I tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus goes deeper. In verses 27 and 28, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his, what? Heart. Even in verses 33 uh, and 34, Jesus makes this point when he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Don't bother with external performance of, of obedience to the law. Putting it on display for other people. It's not enough. What I want is the heart. Christian goodness is deeper than religious goodness because it's not simply about how you observe rules and statutes externally in your behavior. It has to do with your heart. Why? Well, because Christian goodness is deeper because Christian goodness is purer. That's point two. You know, you can, 
You can have all the external obedience that God wants and still have a heart like anybody else. Or let me put this the way Jesus himself puts it. This is from Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 23. In verse 25, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. What is Jesus saying to them? It's pretty clear. He's saying, you can look great on the outside. You can look clean as a whistle, straight-laced. But on the inside, you're still selfish. You're still concerned about yourself. You're still indulging your own desires and wants. Self-indulgence here is is the idea that you are concerned primarily with yourself. You are self-centered. You are self-absorbed. And Jesus says that that that's not the kind of of obedience that he's looking for. Let me me map this out for you. Here's a a secular person. Hold on, I'm going to deal with this. Just a second. I think we're good. Okay, here's a secular person, a, a person who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in religion, etc. And they lie. And they cheat. They're deceitful. You can't trust them. They're dishonest. Why? Why do they have that habit? Why is that their behavior? Well, it could be a number of reasons. It could be fear. They could be that way because they don't want to get punished. They don't want to get caught. They don't want to get found out. They don't want to get in trouble. It could be because of pride. They have a reputation that they want to maintain, and and the truth coming out could hurt that reputation, and so they're trying to avoid looking stupid in front of everybody else because they want to maintain that reputation. It could also be because of greed. If by lying, they can enrich themselves somehow. They can get more money. They can get more stuff. Or, Or they lie because of all three or more. They're fearful. They're greedy. Uh... They're worried about, their, they're proud. And you say to yourself, or maybe you're thinking, hey, pastor, like, Christians can do this too. Christians can be liars too. Unfortunately, maybe you have met Christians who have lied as well. And, and, and maybe they do it for all the same reasons. Maybe they do it to avoid punishment. A lot of kids growing up in Christian homes, and probably secular homes as well, but kids growing up in Christian homes, they lie to avoid punishment probably all the time. Their parents have laid out consequences for their behavior, have told them this is what's going to happen if you do X, and they do X, and they already know what the consequence is going to be, and so what do they do? They try to cover it up. They lie. Or maybe they lie uh, to protect their reputation. Maybe it's because of pride. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, okay, have you ever said you'll do something for someone And then you forgot to do it. And when they asked you about it, you lied. And you said, oh, well, I've been super busy. Or I couldn't get to it yet. Or it's it's on my list of to-do things. I will get to it tomorrow. When actually what you did was you forgot. 
And you don't just say, I forgot. Why? Because you want to be known as a dependable person. You want to be known as a responsible person. You don't want to, to, to have to tell this person that you just blew it. Or maybe you uh, were supposed to attend a Bible study at 7 o'clock or a small group meeting at 8 o'clock and you didn't do your homework and so you text the group at 5.30 and you go, yeah, I was kind of battling this, this uh, itch in my throat all day but it looks like I got a cold and I can't come. I know I've nailed some of you with that one. Because I lead a lot of these things, and so I, I watch my WhatsApp or whatever, and I, and I watch the late bailers, and I just go, oh, I know you're, oh, you double-booked, or you're just tired, or whatever. Why don't you just tell the truth? I don't want to come. We lie for protecting our reputation. Or, or maybe you lie because of greed. Christians lie because of greed all the time. Strangely enough, you know, it's tax season Time to declare our income appropriately. Okay, so now we see that secular people can lie and we see that Christians can lie and they can do it for all the same reasons. Now, here's a religious person and they don't lie. They're very, very truthful. They tell the truth. They're, they're very careful to always tell the truth. They don't want to be like those secular people who, who, who lie and, and are so self-centered that they, they are constantly trying to protect their reputation or, or are, they're afraid of looking stupid or they're always constantly trying to make sure that they, they get as much money out of something as they can and that's why they're uh, distrustful and dishonest. I don't want to be like that. Well, Why? Why does the religious person tell the truth? Well, it could be fear. God's going to get me. Maybe he'll strike me down with a lightning bolt. Or they believe in karma and they say, you know, well, you know, you, you reap what you sow. And so if, I, if I'm dishonest, then people aren't going to believe me. And if people don't believe me, that's going to make my life more difficult. I'm going to get nailed for it. Or maybe it's pride. I don't want to be like those people who lie, liars. I'm a good person. I'm an upright person. It could be greed, believe it or not. If I lie, I could lose money because everybody knows that you gotta, if you're going to have a business, you've got to have honesty, you've got to have integrity if you want that business to thrive. That's what they'll tell you in Harvard Business School. Don't lie. Make sure that you're always truthful because it'll come back and get you and it'll be bad for business in the long run. And Jesus is saying... What's the difference? On the one hand, you've got selfish badness. On the other hand, you have selfish goodness. The motives of the secular liar and the religious honest Ed are exactly the same. You see... Religious goodness can be every bit as immoral and sinful as irreligious badness. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. He, he goes deeper in Matthew 23, beginning at verse 27. He says this to the Pharisees. He's still talking to them. And he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look 
beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. You appear, you notice Jesus, he says, you appear to people as righteous on the outside, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and death. Because your heart has not been changed. And that's what what Jesus wants. And by the way, one of the reasons Jesus wants heart change is because he knows that, that even the most comprehensive law system cannot protect a person from sinning. It can't. Even those 613 laws cannot protect a person from sinning. Paul, in Romans 5, verse 20, and if Jonas, if you can get there before I say it, boy, oh boy, you're quite the slide guy, I gotta say. In Romans 5, verse 20, Paul says this, the law, (laughs) attaboy, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. This is a very interesting thing that the Bible points out and that psychologists have have again and again proven to be true, and it's this. All the law is able to do is actually incite desire to sin. Every one of our children we did this little thing with. When they were toddlers, put something on the coffee table, in the middle of the coffee table, we'd say, don't touch, and we'd walk away. And we'd watch out of the corner of our eye, each one of our kids, that thing that was in the middle of the table, typically they would have no interest in it in the day-to-day life that they're living. But because it has been now marked with a law, don't touch. My, oh my, the moral struggle that our children would go through. Well, wasn't much of a struggle, to be honest with you. Some of them were very quick and defiant, looking you in the eye, reaching for it. Some of them were a little more shrewd. They'd bump the table and get it to kind of roll toward the edge and then maybe they'd brush it with their body, with their hand or something as they, as they went past it. Others were, were very careful to, to look like they would not touch it and so while you're watching them with one corner of your eye, they're watching you with one corner of their eye and they're just waiting for you to turn your back so that they can have a quick touch. They all do it differently, but it's all the same. What? They're breaking the law because all the law can do is incite the desire to break the law. Look at how, look at how cyber criminals and tech companies are constantly at war with one another. The cyber criminal figures out how to break through the firewall and they steal those people's personal information. And now the tech guys say, well, we're going to patch that. We're going to do it this way. And the, the cyber guys figure out another way around the law. See, if you don't want to obey the law, it does not matter how many laws you have. There are thousands and more than thousands of men who have said, I don't want to watch pornography. I don't want to see pornography. I know it's bad for me and I don't want to fall into that trap. And so I put an accountability partner in place and I put filters and blockages on my uh, internet access and all that kind of stuff and then they spend the next three months trying to figure out ways to get around the stuff that they've put up so that they can keep looking at it without getting caught. It's an age-old story, friends. This is because heart change is what is needed and, and even when you have heart change, you still fail. You still fall. 
But my point is, is that this is why Jesus is looking at our hearts and calling us to be born again. Because true obedience, you see, is an obedience of the heart. Are you convinced yet? Can I go on to point three? Oh, no, no, no. Some of you aren't. Let me give you one more. Here's two people in church. One is a very religious person. The other person is a true follower of Jesus Christ. And they're both praying. And they're both singing the songs. And they're both taking copious notes during the sermon. And they both drop a wad in the offering. Why? The religious person is doing it because of fear. Because of pride. Maybe because of greed. And the follower of Jesus is doing it because of love. That's point three. We're into point three now. The last point. Christian goodness is greater because it's deeper, because it's purer, because it's nobler. The motive of Christian goodness is nobler than the motive of natural goodness, we'll call it. Look at verse 17 one more time. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. We talked a lot about this last week. We're just going to revisit it again because it's worth revisiting. Jesus fulfilled the law twice. He obeyed the law perfectly. And he paid the penalty for us. He paid for it twice. So that his perfect life has achieved for us the blessings of salvation. When you put your trust in Jesus and and not in your own moral record before the throne of God, when you finally get to the point where you can say to God, look, my goodness will never match that of the Pharisees. My desire for that kind of goodness in all honesty could never match that of the Pharisees. But I put my trust in Jesus and in his goodness and in his ability to fulfill the law on my behalf. When you do that, you get God's reward, you see. You get God's reward that is due Jesus because he was a perfectly obedient person. You get Christ's righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. You get his heart, you see. You don't just get his record. You don't just get the list of how he kept all 613 or he fulfilled them all and, and he never once lied and he never once cheated and he never once had a desire to lust and he did all, did all these things perfect. You don't just get that. You get his heart. You see, Jesus' heart, his heart, it beat with a pure, undiluted love for his father. He delighted to do his heavenly father's will. In John chapter 8, in, in verse 29, he, he even says, I always do what pleases him. And he, the reason is, is because that's how you love somebody. You find out what they want. And you do it. And Jesus gives that record to you. 
When you see what he has done for you, when you see that, that he fulfilled the law perfectly on your behalf so that you can know him and love him and be held and, and cared for by him and have a relationship with the Father, when that sinks into you, that changes your heart so that now you have the right motive to follow God. You have the right motive to, to be obedient. Your desire is not to get anything from God because you've already got everything he could ever give you. It's all because of grace. There's a, there's a very interesting movie um, called Three Seasons, and, and it's three little stories in this movie. And the one story is about two people in, uh, I think it's Hanoi, in Vietnam. It's about Hai and Lan. Hai is a rickshaw driver, and he's poor. And he drives a rickshaw, and he is in love with Lan. She is a beautiful woman, but she's a prostitute. And she is an escort that works at a very posh hotel where all the elites come. It's a beautiful hotel. It is, uh, it is a well, world-renowned hotel with great furniture and great food in the restaurants, and all the elites come there. And she's an escort that works out of this hotel. And she is ashamed of herself and she feels guilty about her life and she feels very dirty because of the work that she does. And Hai is deeply, deeply in love with her. And he enters this bicycle race and lo and behold, he wins and he wins the grand prize. It was quite a bit of money. And so he decides that, that he is going to spend it on land. He's in love with her but he's never been able to afford her and so finally he has all this money and he purchases a night with her. And she comes into this hotel where she has worked before and it's all flashy and beautiful and, and uh, she goes up to the room to meet him and everybody's expecting, of course, uh, you know, a night of passion or something like that. But Hai brings her into the room and he says, he says, no, 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 I don't want any of that from you. I've just always ever wanted to be with you and I want to know you. And so she sits down on the bed and she feels strange because this man is actually taking an interest in her as she is and not simply seeing her as an object for his own, uh, uh, own satisfaction. And he says, he says, I want you to have a night here where, where you don't feel like the escort. So go to sleep. I want you to feel comfortable and I want you to feel safe in this place for the first time in your life. And so she thinks this is all very weird, but eventually she becomes more comfortable. She, she lies down and her guard starts to come down and she falls asleep. And she wakes up the next morning and high is gone. And he never tried to do anything to diminish her dignity. He never tried to do anything to exploit her. He just wanted to bless her. And in a review of this movie, the reviewer says something snaps in Lan. She finds she can't go back to her old job of prostitution, having experienced for the first time, listen to this, someone who used his power to serve her rather than use her. She gets a new sense of her own dignity. She's not the same person. She's changed by the transforming grace of selfless love. Friends, to see 
the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. Look at your Savior taking his power and laying it all down not to use you, not to exploit you, but to serve you. To make you beautiful so that you now want to serve him. That's Christian goodness. It's deeper. It's purer. It's nobler. Because it's all rooted in our beloved Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we confess that too often The motives behind our obedience are no better than the motives behind our disobedience. How ironic is that? Give us a grand vision of Jesus' sacrificial love for us and open our hearts or open us to to have changed hearts that seek to, to please you with the right motive, out of love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I command. May we seek to do what you command because we love you and for no other reason. In Jesus we pray, amen.